This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. And we've been considering this whole school year the the letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome. Uh, Rome itself, who was uh, a, a conquering force uh, that was an oppressor, and the tension that the that the Jews felt uh, in their own experience because they were being occupied by a foreign land, and then the church that gets birthed in that context, right? So the Church of Jesus Christ that is birthed from uh, the people of God, the nation of Israel, but that also exists at the hands of a, a foreign government, right? And this 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 amazing city, a cultural center, a, a militarist power, and we see the church. We don't know from the word how many people were there. Uh, where it's likely certain that there weren't any uh, church buildings, not certainly the, the ones that exist in Rome now, uh, but it was really a people that were seeking to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of great tension. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of certain of challenge, Taylor likes to speak out during the sermon. It's fine. He's into it, right? So we're living in this in, in a similar situation, right? Because we live uh, in in America, which is a, a military power, in a in a cultural center, in an economic center, and in, in, in a place of, uh, in many ways, great paganism. And yet we're seeking to be a faithful uh, remnant of people who follow Jesus, right? Uh, We're going to learn next week that we want to honor the governing authorities that are over you, and yet we're going to live in a countercultural way that's different and distinct from the government. We have an opportunity to be part of the government, to seek to renew and to lead, but we're not going to live in the way of the world. That's what we've been considering this whole year, is that what does it look like for us to to live by faith, to live in that moment where we are wrestling with how can we be faithful followers of Jesus Christ in the moment that we're in. And so we're listening in to Paul talk about this with his friends, his brothers and sisters in the church in Rome. And he's been going through, uh, in many different ways, just revealing the glory of God through his word and how he relates to his people by faith. We've heard stories from the Old Testament, how Paul brings up Abraham as a man who walked by faith. It wasn't what Abraham did to be in relationship with God, but it was what God had done to draw himself into relationship with God. So we've learned fundamentally over and over every single week that we don't relate to God by our actions. We relate to God because he has come to us in the person of Jesus to enter into our lives and to respond to us. He, he grabs us like a loving father and disciplines us when necessary. And he calls us to himself and he embraces us and he says, this is how I want for you to live. And this is what I've done for you in Christ. So we've been just unpacking, and it's been a challenge, right? We've had to get big shovels and bulldozers as we try to understand all that God is saying to us in the letter to Romans. It's been challenging. But now, as we approach the end of this letter, we're seeing Paul get extremely practical, extremely um, down in the dirt as to how we are called to live our lives out in relationship. And remember, we have this whole framework from history. Because we know that the early church was probably insignificant, very small. They had no power. They had no uh, economic influence or political influence. They had no military. And yet within a thousand years, actually probably within 250 years, when Constantine said that it's a Christian nation, 
Now, we can debate whether or not what Constantine meant by that. I don't want to get too historical. But there were so many Christians in Rome that the political leader was saying it's a Christian nation. It's, Christianity has spread everywhere. And it didn't happen through incursions and invasion. It happened with deeds of love and mercy. And today, in our text, we're getting a glorious picture of what those deeds of love and mercy actually look like for you and me, on the ground, foot soldiers, as it were, in Jesus' army, not to conquer, but to lay down our lives in love and service and care so that Jesus would be lifted up. And that God's glory would be revealed through our humble acts of loving, of caring, of serving. And so that's what we're doing this morning as we look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another in brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of God for the people of God. May be seated. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've taught us about what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus Christ, the announcement of what Jesus has done, not a list of rules that we've got to do. But as we approach this this text, there's a lot of things for us to do. So let us keep in mind that everything you're asking us to be and to do as your people is completely and totally a response to what you have already done. And that the more we know your love for us and your grace and your kindness, the more we'll desire to live this way that Paul is sharing with his brothers and sisters in Rome. This way that changed the world. May we be world changers in the big and in the small. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by the idea of the mark of the beast. 
I was always interested in like, what is that? How is that applied? Uh, it's in common culture. There's all these different ways. Uh, the mov- movies represent, you know, just the satanic and cults. And you're wondering, okay, what, what is evil and how is that revealed? What is that mark of the beast? Is that, is that something that I have? How do I fight against that? Can I identify someone if, if they have it? Like, what is it? Just that whole idea was fascinating to me as a kid. Well, we learned a little bit about what the Bible says the mark of the beast is in the last uh, book of the Bible, which is the, the revelation to John. John is is writing uh, much later than Paul, and he is writing about his context. He says this in, in Revelation 13. He says, Then I saw another beast riding, uh, rising out of the earth. So there's a first beast, and now John is writing about another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. When you think about a dragon, how does a dragon speak with fire? It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So there's this like really cryptic, scary language that John is talking about uh, when it comes to the beast. He says it also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Well, it was always really scary to me to read those passages and, and to think about that. What, there's a dragon with fire. What does that mean? And there's a lot of conversation about what do these verses mean. There's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. But what I want to point out to you is that there's this mark that identifies those who are following the beast who has risen up from the ground. They're following this dragon that is breathing fire. There's a mark that they have. Those who were of the beast had this mark on their hand or on their forehead. It says that no one could buy or sell unless they had this beast. Because it would reveal with whom that person was aligned. This mark revealed who they worshipped. It it revealed who they were aligned with. So then what reveals the people of God who stand in distinction to those who are marked by the beast? What is the difference between those who are marked with the beast and those who are marked by Christ? Who do not worship the God of this age, but worship the King Jesus, what is the difference? What are the marks of believers today? Well, I would say that Paul is sharing with us in Romans chapter 12 what those marks are. They're not numbers that are written into our hand or signs that are put on our forehead. They're ways that we live, activities that we engage in, practices and rhythms and postures that we have as the people of God that demonstrate with whom we're aligned. When you see an act of mercy, when you see an act of service, when you see forgiveness, when you see grace, when you see the presence of God, you say that person is marked 
by Jesus. And so Paul here shares with us those true marks. You see, it's really important for us to think about what does it mean for me to be a Christian? What does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus? Like to say I'm a Christian could mean one thing to one person and mean another thing to another person. Some people might say, well, I was born in America. And America is a Christian nation. So therefore, I am a Christian simply because of the geographic location into which I was born. Now, I would say that America is only a Christian nation to the extent that its uh, people reflect the love and care of Jesus Christ. But we can get into this mindset that if, well, to be a Christian means to, to show up with some degree of regularity at a worship service where a guy stands up and talks or a gal stands up and talks. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And then occasionally I make a donation to that group of people. And every once in a while, I'll serve on a committee of some sort that helps to plan those events that are put on by that group of people. That's what it means for me to be a Christian. In fact, because that's what I believe, then I actually get my name on a roll. Somewhere in some, some either scroll or digital device, there's my name on a list. I'm a member of that church. I've been accepted into that community, so therefore, I am a Christian. Now, look, I don't want to dismiss the value and importance of corporate worship for the life of the believer. It's so vital that we get together with other believers and share our faith together and sing songs of faith and and talk about what the scriptures say and to, to pray together and celebrate the sacrament of baptism and communion. It's so vitally important for us to gather as God's people. It's also important for us to to look at our resources, our material resources, as these are things that have been given to me by God. They're actually all His, and so I'm returning to Him some of what He has so graciously given to me. So my acts of, of generosity are a wonderful response to God's act of generosity to me. And also then engaging this community with with love and service and helping to organize, right? It it takes a lot. Do you you know how much planning we did to get these kids up here to sing that little song, right? Talk to Betty Sue about it, right? And and Ginny and Angela. It's a whole lot to do to get those guys up there. And they did a great job. But there's planning and emails and coordination, right? Don't look up here, but we had a leak in the roof this week. And so there are tarps that needed to be bought and pianos to cover. There's properties. Mike Ogden, the property share, was up here three times while on his phone calling roofers, right? Things happen, and we need people to help do the things that we're doing. I'm not wanting to take away any of those important roles. Like we talked about using your gifts last week, right? And everyone who's in Christ has been given a gift, and everyone is called to use that gift. That's so important. But simply showing up and giving some money and being an act, doing an act of service doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. What makes you a follower of Jesus is that you know Christ and what he's done for you. He's given his life for you. And then as a response to that, then you begin to live in increasing measure in this way that he's sharing with us. And here's the thing with this passage. I, I have read this passage so many times, and I'm just like, it just preaches itself. So why do I want to get in the way? So here's what we're going to do. It's a little bit different. 
If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up. Pull out your phone. This is the one time I'll ever say to you, pull out your phone if you have a Bible app. There are Bibles in front of you. I think it's page 891, which is this passage. Because I want you to just look with me at these verses. I'm going to read them again. We're going to break them up into three different sections. And here's what I'm asking you to think about. A couple of things. What is God saying to you? When these verses come up, because I could literally do a whole sermon on any one of these verses. They're 13, 9 through 21. We could do a whole sermon on any one of them. But I'm asking God, and I'm asking you to consider, what is it that God is saying to you in this text? Because you see, being, being a Christian is more than just having your name on a roll. And I know you know that because you're here. But I'm wanting to encourage you and I challenge you and to say, what's the next step that you can take as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, to, to demonstrate to the world that you're marked by Christ? It doesn't have to be an amazing event or a giant thing. It doesn't have to be monumental. It can be very mundane. But it's an act of obedience and response to what God has done. You see, G.K. Chesterton said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. You know, it's way easier for us to, to share somebody else's post on some cause that we think is important than it is to forgive the person who hurt us that's right nearby. To love the person who lives next door when their philosophy about um, yard uh, care is different than our philosophy about yard care or whatever the thing is is to love our neighbor and to forgive. So, in light of what Jesus has done, I want you to think about these first few verses. We're going to read 9 through 12. And here's some, here's some questions just to stir your thinking. Are there commands in here to obey? Are there promises I can trust God to keep? Just think about this. Open it up. So, I'm going to read a different version. Uh, love must be sincere, verse 9. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Oh, verse 12 is so good. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Okay, so as you're looking at those words, keep looking at them. I'm going to be a little bit quiet, but here's another question. If you apply this to your life, this is teaching, how will this truth change your life or your church or your family or your work? Ask that question. Just take a moment and reread those verses and what's God saying to you? another translation let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor what would that look like in your life to outdo everyone in showing others honor what a great thing do not be slothful in zeal but be fervent in spirit serve the lord rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation 
be constant in prayer. So just think about what's one aspect, what's one way that you could apply these verses in your life today, this week? What's one way that you could apply this in your life? Let's look at another section of verses. As you can see, it's it's a lot to uh, try to apply. And that's where we're trying to go slow, but there's really way too much for us to cover. We're going to look at the next few verses here. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Um, I just want to lift up one idea here about this passage. So look at what he's saying there. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So here he's talking about the saints. Who are the saints? Are there any saints in the room? Any saints? If you're in Christ, if you know Jesus, you're a saint. You may feel like a sinner, but you're that too, but you're in Christ, you're a saint. Paul is saying, contribute to the needs of the saints. But then he says, show hospitality. You've probably heard this before. I've shared this a number of times. Hospitality is the word philo-xenia. Philo-xenia. Philo means love, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Xenia, what's that? Anyone know? Maddie? Stranger. All right? Maddie came to serve refugees in our community. To love the stranger. Love the foreigner who's in your midst. So love the saints who are part of the church. Love the people who aren't in the church that you can care for and encourage. Boy, that's a challenging thing that we could think about, isn't it? How do we apply that in our lives? How do we love the stranger in our midst? Here's a great one. This one's easy. I found this one really, really easy. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Mm. Lord, bless those who persecute you. Come on, Paul. Are you kidding me? How am I going to do that? I find it hard to like the people that I like sometimes. Not No one here, not present company excluded. How do we bless those who persecute us? You know, you're really just a Jesus person. You know, why are you still doing all that stuff in the church? Or why don't you just cut the corner here? It's not that big of a deal. Why don't you just go along with us? It's not a big deal. No one's going to know. Bless those people. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So here's another way of looking at these verses. And I'm going to give you another minute. This is reproof. Where do I fall short? How do I evaluate myself as an individual in light of these words? How do I evaluate my own community or my own family? Am I operating in my sphere of influence in a way that reflects these values? And if I'm not, the first thing I can do is to say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me for not living the way that you've clearly articulated for me to live. Thank you, Lord, because I haven't done this. And yet, Lord, I want to live in this way in increasing measure in my life. So give me the power to do it. Help me, Lord, because until your word is revealed to me, sometimes I don't even realize that I'm not blessing those who persecute me. I'm not living in harmony. I'm not a musician, as you well know, but like harmony is like two people singing together in a way that's beautiful. 
sometimes we just feel like if I can just get away from this person who's not doing it the way that I do it, that would make it easier. But in fact, harmony is when people are doing different things, right? Is that right? Yeah. See, I do know something about music. And it sounds really good because people are doing it a different way. And so how many times do we look at the people around us and say, boy, I just wish you did it my way. Instead of saying, man, I'm really thankful that you're doing it your way. And I want to learn more about how you do it your way. That's going to be helpful for me. Because in the end, we're going to do something better together than we could have done apart. Uh, the reproof part of it for me is to say, Lord, I need to grow in this. And I'm so thankful that you're revealing this to me. Because you know what? I want to see your kingdom come with deeds of love and mercy. So what's the application for you in that section? Have you been associating with the lowly? Have you been intentional in your life to, to reach out to the person who's on the margins, the one who's in need, the one who's socially awkward, who doesn't have community or relationship, the one who comes and the first thing they say is all their problems? Have you been avoiding that person? It's our natural tendency is to say, yeah, okay, hope that all works out for you. Instead of to say, let me enter in for a moment to, to share and to care and to serve, to be intentional about going to them and saying, how can I listen? And you got to take a break. You have to have boundaries. But entering in to where the lowly are, how do we fall short? I'm going to read another version of the same text here, 13 through 16. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And, and mourning with those who mourn doesn't mean going up to someone who's really struggling and saying, it's going to be fine. It's all going to work out. That's not the right approach. Mourning with someone means entering into their pain. And simply listening and saying, I'm sorry. I know this is hard. I love you. You're not alone. I'm with you. I have no idea how it's going to work out, but I know this, that God is near and so am I. I'm going to be with you in this pain and sorrow that you're facing. Man, that's, that's a privilege to do with someone, isn't it? Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. So what's God saying to you? And here's the deal. In the whole sermon, just one thing that you would say. Let's do this last section here. Verse 17. Uh, verse 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. Boy, don't we feel like when we've been wrong to say, Here's what I'm going to do to fix this problem. And here's what Paul is saying, is that let the Lord work it out. Forgive. Let God work it out. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I saw a video uh, yesterday of a Russian soldier that was captured. And there's a Ukrainian soldier that gives him a cigarette. Now, that's not good for his health, technically, but... If you're doing an incursion into another country and you've been captured, I imagine the cigarette would be mighty nice. Kids don't smoke, all right? But it's an act of generosity to a person who's invading your country. 
And I don't know, fact check all this stuff, but come on. I saw another video of, of, a, of a Russian soldier who was told by his uh, commander they were going to just be doing exercises. And he goes, I don't want to be here. So they gave him a phone and he called his mom. And his mom was like, what are you doing in Ukraine? It's an act of mercy to an oppressor. Now, it's very complicated. I saw it on Twitter, so it's got to be true. But you understand the point I'm making, right? It's, it's, to, it's to love and to care and to express. Because that, that war will be won as the hearts of the people of Russia say, we don't want this. We don't want this. We stand against our government. We don't want this. And the people of Ukraine who fight for their country, and then when they capture people, they love them. Can you imagine to love someone in that way? I don't know that I could do it, but that's what they're doing. That's love. It's sacrifice. It's giving. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals on his head. Now, that, what that means, burning coals, is, is hard to understand. But when we love people who hurt us, when we forgive them, and we're entrusting the pain that they put on us, and we say, Lord, I'm giving this to you, that's a picture of the gospel, because that's what Jesus did. We sinned against God, and he said, I'm going to put that on Jesus. And so then our response is to love. And that's the only way that we can love our enemies, is because we know that we too were enemies of God, and yet God loved us, and he gave his life for us. So what's your application point there? How are you going to live out the kingdom values? How are you going to demonstrate a true mark of a follower of Jesus today, this week? So here's one last verse, verse 21. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, think about this. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, right? The Roman oppressor who, who was keeping them from expressing themselves in the fullness of who they were. They had occupied their land. And now Paul is writing to this fledging church in the city of Rome, this place where Paul eventually would appeal to go to stand before Caesar, uh, the greatest leader of that age, with the most powerful military, and the most powerful person in the world. Paul said, I demand that I get to go to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. And so the book of Acts tells the story of how Paul goes and makes his journey to Rome, to the place where he was likely imprisoned and likely put to death. Paul says, I'm going to Rome. I don't know if you know this, but in Revelation, many scholars believe that the beast which marks the people are the prophets who call upon people to worship the first beast, which is the city of Rome. That Rome represents the kingdom of man, the kingdom of the world. And whoever partners with the kingdom of the world has the mark of the beast, and those who resist the kingdom of the world have the mark of Christ. Nail-scarred hands of service and love. A lashed and whipped back. A broken spirit. A posture of humility, of love, of charity. You see, uh, St. Augustine uh, wrote a book called The City of Man and the City of God. And he compared those two kingdoms. And those two kingdoms still exist today. And if you don't think that they do, read the Bible and look at the world. Look at your own heart. And so our, our task as people who are members of this covenant family is to say, Lord, how are you going to help me to apply this word in my life? So that's the mission. That's the homework assignment. 
And I would encourage you to write it down because I know when I, I know if I write my homework assignments down, I'm much more likely to do them. Ask a kid in elementary or middle school, oh, I forgot to write it down. Don't be that way. Write it down and say, Lord, help me to do this thing. Is it to act with charity? Is it to, to love? Is it to serve? Because it's not with swords clashing and bombs blowing and political uh, um, power or military might. It's deeds of love and mercy. And every single one of you has the power because you've got the gospel of Jesus Christ behind you and within you to do that thing. And that's what led to the transformation of Rome, the transformation of the Mediterranean. And it's the reason why we're sitting here right now is because these people say, we're going to do this as best we know how in the way that we can for the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.